A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is the Hub. Hello and welcome to the Hub. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. The 2024 U.S. election is considered historic by many, as a Biden-Trump rematch seems to be on the horizon. A pandemic later, and three years after the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, will this presidential election be the most polarized ever? What key issues will decide the state of the race? Let's first revisit Iowa caucus and the Republican candidate Ron DeSantis's exit. After that. Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Defiant words when former South Carolina Governor and United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley made this remark after former President Donald Trump's historic win in Iowa. Now perhaps prophetic in light of the announcement Sunday from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that he is dropping out from the presidential race, telling his supporters in a video posted to X that he no longer sees a clear path to victory. This, as Haley has already focused squarely on her former boss. 75% of Americans don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. Chaos follows him. However, the most recent polling shows Trump maintains a double-digit lead over Haley in New Hampshire. Even if Haley did somehow, you know, pull off an upset and and place first, or even if she comes a close second, is it too little, too late for her? What is her path to the nomination? Keep winning. I mean, you know, the the the, the it's a tough path. I mean, every poll that's out there shows that Donald Trump has a sizable lead and, and uh, he certainly has a, a core constituency that's going to be with him no matter what. That constituency includes former GOP primary rivals who have dropped out of the race. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy both endorsing Trump and now DeSantis. Here in New Hampshire, independents and those who are undeclared make up about 40 percent of registered voters. In the GOP primary, they're allowed to cast their ballots alongside declared Republicans. Political science professor Matthew Hale says Haley stands to benefit the most from the state's well-known independent streak, while Trump has attempted to turn that advantage against her. Nikki Haley in particular. <laughs> is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. A vote for Nikki Haley this Tuesday is a vote for Joe Biden. Voters we spoke to are divided. Donald Trump, as much as I love him, is an uh, incumbent. He, he has four years. He's a deadbeat as soon as he gets elected. I hope he gets elected, but I want Nikki Haley to be elected. Uh, I died in the wool Democrat, and I will vote for Biden. As the Republican race heats up, so has the rhetoric. Trump mocking Haley's given first name, Namrata, on his social media platform, widely seen as an attack on her Indian heritage. While Haley herself raised eyebrows after comments she made saying the U.S., quote, has never been a racist country. With DeSantis now out of the running, the pressure is on both Haley and Trump to win over his supporters. Karina Mitchell, CGTN, Manchester, New Hampshire. Now for more, I'm joined at this hour by Bill Schneider, Professor of Policy, Government and International Affairs at George Mason University in Virginia, the United States. In Los Angeles, we have William Lee, Chief Economist at the Milken Institute. And in Washington, D.C., we have Brandon Andrews, entrepreneur and former congressional staffer. Gentlemen, welcome. 
Uh, Nikki Haley claimed that this is going to be a two-person race, but um, however you look at it, Trump had a double-digit uh, lead in New Hampshire uh, with DeSantis' exit and uh, support uh, behind Trump, pulling himself behind Trump. Um, is there any way Nikki Haley can still catch up with Trump in this GOP field? In order for Nikki Haley to, to overtake President Trump, there's going to have to be some serious stumbles on the part of President Trump. She, he has such a commanding lead right now, and his followers are very devoted. Nikki Haley's really depending on a lot of crossovers. People who want to say, we need a change from both Biden and Trump. And, and, and those crossover votes are, are far and few between right now, and they're, they're yet to be counted. And we'll see in New Hampshire just how strong that wave is. Okay, Bill, what do you think? Is there a viable path for Nikki Haley at all in the next 10 months? There's a viable path, but it depends on whether enough people will infiltrate the Republican primary ca primaries and caucuses uh, to, to give Nikki Haley a chance. Right now, Trump owns the Republican Party. He's taken it over. Clear majority of Republicans want Trump. They're captivated by him personally. It's not so much the issues, it's him, his personality. He's a fighter. That's what they like. The most important thing I've heard in politics in many years was said 20 years ago by the smartest man in American politics, Bill Clinton. He's a Democrat. And when Democrats did poorly in 2002, he made this statement. He said, this proves strong and wrong beats weak and right. He was referring, of course, to George W. Bush after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Well, that may apply now. Most Democrats believe that uh, Donald Trump is strong and wrong, and they're worried that their own candidate, Joe Biden, is too weak to defeat him. Weakness is not something Americans want in a president. Old means weak, and he's over 80 years old. So a lot of Democrats are worried, and certainly a lot of independents, that Biden is too weak to stand up to Donald Trump. Brendan, how do you look at the state of the race? Um, as Bill just said, I many believe that, um, you know, uh, Trump is strong and wrong. Well, a lot of people around the nation certainly believe that. But ultimately, as we look at the state of the race, in particular in New Hampshire, Trump's win there is pretty much a foregone conclusion. It would take something very significant for Nikki Haley to be able to pull out a victory. And if she did win in New Hampshire, uh, there's certainly no guarantee that she would be able to go on and win in South Carolina, Nevada, uh, and some of the other upcoming primaries. Of course, as you know, Nikki Haley was the governor of South Carolina, but Trump has lined up endorsements from uh, high-level politicians and leaders um, across South Carolina over the past week or so. Uh, so she may end up losing in her own state if she continues past New Hampshire. Honestly, the, the biggest news out of New Hampshire may be an AI-generated robocall uh, that uh, impersonated President Biden's voice. That's kind of a newsy piece, but the race is pretty much a foregone conclusion and uh, with Trump being so far ahead. Okay, William Lee, let me turn to you. Uh, if you look at the, the race this time around at 2024, uh, Trump uh, has substantial lead uh, against Biden in the uh, potential and hypothetical matchup. How much can we trust the post this time around as we know that they fluctuates in the run up to November?
The one thing that Bill Clinton reminded us all was, it's the economy, stupid. It's how yeah. people feel about the economy. And I think right now, people are very discontent with the economy and the way President Biden has handled things. And people have fond memories of how the U.S. economy seemed to be doing so well under President Trump. So in that sense, the momentum is behind Trump in terms of the economy. The one thing that will allow President Biden to overtake those feelings would be the social issues, abortion, and, and a lot of the left-leaning uh, politics that President Biden represents. So now we really have a clash of, the, and it's something that illustrates the divisions in the United States, which is that the left and the right are being more and more polarized. And the key question is, as you pull on each other, where will the middle be? Bill, what do you think in this potential and highly likely matchup or rematch, should I say, between Trump and Biden? Well, Trump's best issue is Biden. He's not a very popular figure. In fact, his personal ratings, his job approval is lower than it's been for any incumbent president on record running for re-election. So Americans don't want President Biden to be re-elected, but they don't like Trump either. They don't like either one of them, and they don't like the choice between them. Two old guys, uh, one of whom seems conspicuously weak, the other of whom is very controversial, Trump, and very divisive. And a lot of Americans say, those are the choices. We, we, we have to be able to do better than that. And yet, third-party candidates just aren't materializing. Uh, Americans want a hero. They want a General Eisenhower. They want a Ronald Reagan. They want a Barack Obama. They want someone who can inspire them and give them hope and, and uh, evoke real feelings. And they don't see that in either Trump or Biden. Right. Brandon, uh, let's talk about... Donald Trump. Uh, Trump faces some 91 felony charges with at least one criminal trial expected this year. Is Donald Trump's qualification to candidacy at stake? Personally, he's not someone I would support, but for his supporters around the country, many of them will say, I'm not looking for a role model. I'm looking for a leader. I'm looking for a fighter. I'm looking for someone who cares about the issues that are important to me. And if we talk about the economy, I'm looking for someone who was maybe in leadership the last time I felt confidence in the U.S. economy, which for many Americans may have been in 2019 when Donald Trump was actually in office. And so, yes, these charges are serious. Uh, yes, there's serious potential for conviction during uh, the campaign, especially if he becomes the nominee. He's already kind of the presumptive nominee. But many of his supporters are saying there are other things about him, about his policy agenda, about his way of doing business while in office that supersede uh, the current uh, criminal investigations. Okay, we've also seen a trend whereby uh, Donald Trump uh, can potentially pick up votes from the minority voters in the United States among the Hispanics and the black communities. Uh, is that a, a true gauge of what's happening on the ground? Yeah, I think you go back to the economic situation and even uh, in some cities, some isolated uh, cities seeing uh, increased uh, increases in, in crime. But especially, I think, on the economic issues, a lot of people are going to say, am I better off? when I step into the voting booth in November 2024 than I was in November 2020. And if the answer is no, they're gonna to look to maybe a different place than they've historically looked or their community has historically looked. So yes, 
uh, Donald Trump in particular, uh, among Republican politicians, has been making uh, fairly significant gains with uh, Latinx or Hispanic and, and, and black voters in the United States. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the economic uncertainty, uh, but then also with allegiance to a party, allegiance to an ide political ideology for a long time, and maybe not feeling like uh, the results are actually there, whether or not that's actually true. Yeah, uh, William, if you look at you know those quintessential American values, um, one of them is uh, defending so-called freedom and uh, you know American values or uh, values of freedom around the world. And Biden has been trying very hard to fix alliances in the Asia-Pacific, across the Atlantic, uh, and finding new partners and consolidating those alliances. And fair to say, um, I mean, looking at it from a outsider's perspective, um, I don't like it, but let's be fair, he's been trying to fix those alliances the way Donald Trump could not. Well, actually, from the American perspective, Donald Trump was the one who asked our allies abroad to pay their fair share. And I think that caught on a lot of Americans and said, gee, why aren't they paying their fair share? Why is defense spending in Europe so much smaller as a share of GDP than it should be? Uh, and are they just benefiting from the nuclear umbrella the U.S. provides? So, so in that sense, uh, Donald Trump really uh, wanted the world to, to participate fully in their partnership. And that appealed to the American voters. President Biden has uh, people perceive him as somehow doing a, a, a patch job where he is trying to fix the holes that are left, but people don't give him credit for a lot of the holes that he has tried to fix. The, the, the Pacific Alliance with uh, Australia and, and India, and, and I mean, those are the, the sort of uh, the quad alliance is something that President Biden has put a lot of effort into building, and, and, and that seems to be ineffective because people don't get a sense that we've accomplished anything. Right. Um, one last question on the economy before we move on to international relations and foreign policy. Among many things, uh, like you said, William, it's about the economy stupid, uh, or so said Bill Clinton back in the 90s. And according to Lori Calvacina, RBC's head of U.S. equity strategy, said the seasonal pattern of election years, quote unquote, does provide another reason to be on guard for an early year pullback in S&P 500. Can you help us understand how does the election further impact the economy potentially? Well, the election itself uh, has the seasonal effect of the um, uh, election is that the, the stock market may start to wobble a bit, but then start to come back as soon as the people realize what kind of policies are being put in place. But this time it may be different because the kind of policies that have been put in place, either Republican or Democrat, will mean more government spending. And right now the government share of GDP is 5%, is projected over the next 10 years to double to over 10%. The debt burden is rising. And so people really have the sense that government is interfering too much in their lives. The biggest block, a uh, fastest growing block of voters are Hispanics and Asians, second generation and first generation immigrants who are trying to establish businesses. And they're seeing that democratic regulations are interfering with their ability to do business. So there's a, a fondness of the American dream being associated with capitalism that Trump was able to bring in during his regime. Uh, now, to be fair, President Biden has done a lot with infrastructure and has done a lot with trying to reshore a lot of our supply chains. And that is something that has really not gotten enough credit by the American people. And so the tension really is going to be between perceptions of, can I continue to do business and achieve the American dream with the Democrats or the Republicans? And right now, the leading of the wind seems to be toward the Republicans because they will allow businesses to do business with fewer restrictions. 
Uh, Bill Schneider, over the past few months, the U.S. Federal Reserve has seemed um, you know, ready to achieve so-called soft lending to tame inflation without causing high employment and the recession, while Joe Biden has been trying very hard to convince Americans that the country is in the midst of an economic rebound. Um, many ordinary Americans do not necessarily feel that, uh, look at that way. How do you look at these economic issues impacting the election in the next few months? Well, one of the odd things is that Joe Biden's greatest achievement as president is a negative achievement. There has not been a recession. Economists all over the country, all over the world, were predicting that after the pandemic, the United States and much of the world would be facing a severe recession. It hasn't happened yet. Some are saying it could happen this year. Biden gets very little credit for that because Americans aren't too happy with the economy. They'd be much unhappier if there were a recession. Also, the fact is the labor market is very strong. And one of the problems that that's creating is this huge surge of illegal immigrants into the United States. That's an issue that pays off for Donald Trump. It was his first issue that he mentioned when he first ran for president in the summer of 2015. He attacked Mexicans. He called them rapists. He attacked illegal immigrants. It's now become a bigger issue because they're crowding American cities and getting a lot of attention from mayors and governors, particularly Democrats. And a lot of Americans don't like it, even though they're not particularly uh, troubled uh, personally, their livelihoods are not threatened. Uh, there's a very hot labor market in the United States. And as long as there are employers looking for workers to do jobs, they're going to be immigrants to the United States. And that makes a lot of Americans unhappy and it feeds a lot of Donald Trump supporters. Right. I, I want to shift gears and talk about America's foreign policy um, and China-U.S. relations. Brandon, you served in the Senate Armed Services Committee previously. Uh, you worked there as a staffer. Help us understand how Americans perceive uh, Biden's approach uh, towards the crisis in Ukraine. And of course, Donald Trump said he would and he could end the war in Ukraine on day one. Yeah, I, I think the wide majority of Americans understand that the work that's being done uh, to support the Ukraine after they were invaded by Russia is a positive thing that needs to happen. The question comes in when you have potentially perceived economic issues at home uh, and you have other domestic priorities, why are we continuing to put our resources into uh, this conflict that's on another continent? Now, there are a lot of very good reasons why uh, the U.S. has significant interest in Ukraine, uh, but especially in the third and fourth quarter of last year, you saw many Republicans come out and say, we shouldn't be giving a blank check to Ukraine, that Ukraine has had issues with corruption in the past. However, President Biden has been able to uh, keep up the, the support, but the question is, um, with the relative stalemate on the ground, uh, will President Biden have a good enough story to tell uh, the American people about Ukraine to, to continue that groundswell of support. He'll have the State of the Union address coming up here in a few weeks and an opportunity to make another case to the American people in Congress. And then how do you think Donald Trump would approach the crisis in Ukraine differently? I think Donald Trump would try to do exactly what he said. Now, if he does surround himself with competent 
uh, military leaders, political military leaders, they're going to say, Mr. President, there's significant interest for our country uh, in continuing to engage in Ukraine, to continue to push back on Russia and their illegal invasion of Ukraine, and that um, allowing Ukraine uh, to be taken over, even if it's small parts of the Ukraine to be taken over, uh, would be relenting to Russian aggression, which isn't something uh, that America should be doing, um, though that's what competent political military leadership would say. Now, again, that doesn't mean writing a blank check, but I think Donald Trump would try to do exactly what he says. He would get significant pushback, and it would probably mean that the compromise position would be a significant decrease when it comes to funding and some support uh, for the effort in, in the Ukraine. Right. Uh, William Lee, let me ask you this a second Biden term versus uh, a second Trump term, who would be better for China-U.S. relations? Well, the one thing that all the sides agree on is that China is U.S. toughest competitor. And I think Donald Trump and President Biden have shown that their policies have not been all that friendly toward reshoring and, and uh, uh, reestablishing a lot of the, the supply chains with China. So I think with either administration, you're going to find that they will be both be very tough as uh, putting up barriers to trade with China. Now, one thing different about Trump versus Biden is that Trump is the tariff man. And he says he loves to have tariffs, and I suspect that the China tariffs will be not only there, but will be increased. But one thing Donald Trump is absolutely sure about also is he likes financial markets. And I think financial flows between China and the U.S. might be more possible with Trump because investments are the one thing that he understands. And I think one thing that China is able to do is to have co-investments in the U.S. and in joint ventures that might appeal to him. Whereas President Biden, we th are more of the same, right? We're going to have more of the same kind of barriers erected because the one thing that appeals to American voters is to keep our strongest competitor at bay and to provide us the leeway to develop more uh, goods and services to our own advantage, especially in the advanced areas of semiconductors and high tech. So, so I think both will be uh, difficult to deal with China, but I think in terms of investment opportunities and the ability to make deals, Donald Trump might represent a better opportunity for China. Uh, Bill Schneider, do you agree? In part, but let me point something out to you. Since World War II, the United States has played a unique role in the world. We inherited it from, from Great Britain after they were exhausted by World War II. We announced in 1947 the Truman Doctrine. What that amounts to is to say, whenever there is a significant threat to world order, like when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, or a threat to humanitarian values, like ethnic cleansing in Kosovo, if the United States doesn't do something, nothing happens. That's a special responsibility on, on Americans. And a lot of Americans are exhausted by this. They don't think we should bear that responsibility. They don't believe it's our responsibility to save the world. But it, if we don't do it, no one else will. Trump does not acknowledge that. Trump is a populist. A populist, part of populism in the United States and elsewhere is isolationism. And Trump leads an isolationist party. They want to shake off the, any, any obligations to Ukraine. They want to shake off obligations to the rest of the world. And he is very much... And he calls himself an America First candidate. America First means we don't care about the rest of the world. Well, that would be a real departure for the United States for the first time, really, since World War II. The United States would say, let the rest of the world get along as best as it can on its own. 
we want to just keep independent from the rest of the world. Yeah, isolationism versus uh, interventionism, um, you know, it's like a pendulum uh, swinging back and forth. Uh, across the decades and through administrations in the past 100 years, if you look at the U.S. history. Brandon, how do you think um, Trump's foreign policy would differ from Biden's foreign policy? Let's say, should there be a matchup, a rematch between those two? Yeah, the difference between Trump and Biden would be engagement or lack thereof. Biden would continue to engage significantly, uh, both in ways to benefit America and American people from um, economic prosperity to national security. Uh, Donald Trump would try to achieve those goals uh, by pulling back, by retracting from many international agreements and international relationships, and often doing it in a way that is anything but diplomatic. So that would be the big change. It would be engagement that continues with Biden or a lack of engagement uh, primarily with Trump. Yeah, Brendan, we know that some Muslim and Arab American communities uh, threaten to withhold support to a Democratic nominee unless um, Biden and his fellows uh, take immediate steps to secure a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, will that influence the outcome of the election? I think the reality of the election is that because of the contrast between the presumptive nominees, Trump and Biden, um, you have a lot of Americans who have already made their minds up. Their decision is already made. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. The question is, will they actually go out to vote or not? And so for Biden, there are significant communities who may not support Trump because of the comments and because of the actions that he's taken um, that have been against uh, Muslim Americans and that have been offensive, uh, but they may just stay at home and not vote for Biden. And if it becomes a close contest, uh, that uh, those people staying at home could be pretty significant. It's a tough position for the Biden administration to be in, understanding that Israel was attacked and that there are a lot of reasons to uh, not support Hamas continuing uh, to, to be in power in Gaza. Uh, however, uh, the human death toll is so significant and there's so many pictures and, and videos that are heart-wrenching. And so it's really a tough position, but it's something that uh, Biden and his team will have to deal with because this is really gonna be about turnout versus trying to change a lot of people's minds at this point. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us on today's program. I'm Wang Wan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. 